Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Well, hello, good people, and Jonathan, and... Am I one of the good people? I think so. Everybody, everybody who's listening, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're a good person. <laughs> they stumbled upon this and kept listening. You're going to get us on a government list. Some murderer is going to listen to this show and go, I really like that Slava and Jonathan guy. He said I was a good person. They inspired me to do my work. <laughs> oh. Yeah, now we're on a government list. So yeah. they're, we're, we're going to get Paul called in. We're going to get interviewed. Like, why are you supporting this? Like, have you listened to our podcast? And the answer will be no, because it's the government. They'll just have heard about it. Just make wild assumptions, and you know exactly. (laughs) Oh man! Yes. Good morning. It is a lovely morning today. Took a quick walk. Got some coffee. I'm now a year older. Walk in the city. I hate everything about who you choose to be as a person. (laughs) Uh, The book we're covering today is called "The City and the City." Yeah, I was I was uh, dipping in and out in one of the hatched areas uh, between Alcoma and Bajel. So, you know, just calling it what it is. Anyway, yeah. it's my job to sell you this book when we start. Uh, well, actually, first, Slava, any highlights from the week? Oh, I had some, and then and then I just forgot. All right. Well, I'll. So my highlight of the week is I I turned a year older. Girlfriend made me some flan, which is awesome. Very delicious. Took a couple days off of work. Uh, just because it's birthday weekend, and yeah, life's pretty good. I I didn't do a whole lot yesterday. Well, I did after in the afternoon, but for birthday stuff. Yeah, spent some time in the morning reading, went for a walk, journaling, listened to a, an intellectual chat by Peter Kraft, who's this, uh, I was texting you about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'd call him like a Catholic philosopher, but he had a, a piece, <laughs> this is bad, so his website used to be broken back in the early 2000s when we were both living in New York. He was charging for his talks, and I may or may not have found a way to simply tap into his website because it was broken and get the talks for less than the requested cost. So I have a collection of them, and um, they I really like them. I, I they're They're fun. He was talking about Lost in the Cosmos, and... Uh, he was talking about Lewis and Chesterton and oh, not Pagini. What, what was the other guy's name? He also had a funny quote in there. He's like, the six books I would make everyone read if I was God. Um, <laughs> and at first he was like, the four books. And then he paused. He's like, the six books that I would make everyone read. <laughs> he's like, you got to draw a line somewhere. Just yeah. funny. He's a funny guy. Interestingly enough, he actually grew up in the city that I live in. So. Oh. Interesting, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I find Catholic philosophy, anthropology, sociology kind of like, you know, the heavy hitters in, in Catholicism, maybe, maybe you know, they're not that heavy. They just made it into kind of like the mainstream. But that aside, and that's not a slight of them, 
That aside, I find Catholic philosophy and anthropology much more robust than Protestant. And I'm not sure why. Because back in the day, Protestants had, you know, decent amount of work. And the last hundred years or so, it's dwindled to the point where it's not robust. It's just, it's activism. It's the the, the rest of the freaking world is doing. But Catholics have consistently put out good stuff on that end. Yeah, I agree. There's, um, and I, I know that I've talked about him before because I absolutely love him, Blaise Pascal, mm-hmm. 15th century philosopher, physician, physics guy, arithmetic, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, real Renaissance guy, right? Wrote the Penses, which is wisdom literature. And actually one of my roommates back in the day when I was living in Brooklyn, which I texted you about yesterday, he had this book because Kraft was their teacher at the college that they went to. He had a book on the shelf that said Christianity for Modern Pagans, and it was just a look at Blaise Pascal's Pensees, translated from French to English, and then reordered in what Kraft thought was a more clear-cut, categorized narrative, because it's like these micro-essays. Sometimes they're one word, they're not one word, they're um, two or three sentence quips, like, monks will be thrown up in arms over a cowl of wool. That's one of them. And then, you know, there's just things to meditate on, wisdom to meditate on, right? And then there's ones that are like six-page essays about vanity or, you know, another one that I really like, and I'm going to summarize here is Pense number 47. Pascal lays out a, an argument that says, humans spend so much time thinking that the future doesn't come fast enough or that the past flees too quickly that it is inevitable that we are always chasing times that don't belong to us rather than living in the time that does. And therefore, it should be that no human is ever happy because they're always either chasing the future and hoping it comes quicker or regretting the past that it flees too quickly. And so, therefore, they'll never actually be happy living in the present, not for the present. It's a really great... This is the type of stuff that I like to read for fun. So... Hey, no, good on you. That's the kind of stuff I read for fun in my eight years of seminary. Although I've never come across Kreeft, Kreft. I, I wouldn't think you would because of his his Catholic beliefs. Yeah. Because Aquinas makes sense. He's, he's you know, well enough known. Or um, John, big theologian. Chrysostom? John something or other. Well, he's a father. John Chrysostom is a father. Uh, it wasn't a father, but yeah. Yeah, I had two, maybe three professors that were friendly. Let's just put it that way, towards Catholic theology. And there's a line that has to be drawn, right? There's a, re- there's a reason why there's Protestants and Catholics. There's definitely some stuff that when it comes to ecclesiology, which is church, when it comes to soteriology, which is how we are saved, there's big differences in how we get to, to the middle point. And those differences are not irrelevant. They're not just like, well, potato, potato. The way that people get there, there's categories, there's definitions, and the conclusions are the same, but the road there is slightly different. And with some of the the, the roads, we're going to call them, but they're, they're contentious for a reason. You know, you the conclusions you come to based on how you view the church and view salvation, there's legitimate reasons for contentions there. Now, somebody looking in would say, yeah, F it, because I don't care. But for the internal dialogue, and that's what all that matters, anybody looking from the outside, who cares? Like, your opinion is irrelevant. Just like my opinion on your thing might be irrelevant to you. 
So there's reasons why there's separation there, I guess. But having said that, there's a vast amount of information and resources that Catholics have put out that are superb. Oh, yeah. The Protestants, for the last last 50 years, picking their butts and belly buttons and screaming Republican you know, talking points is obnoxious. hasn't gotten us anywhere. Absolutely, absolutely obnoxious. Absolutely obnoxious. And the, the thing is, if you meet conservative Catholics, they'll probably agree with you on those talking points, but they don't spend their time in the public square with political signs. They're doing yeah. what Peter Kreeft is doing. Yeah. So, shout out to the Catholics. Yeah, here, here. I I think they've done a, a very wonderful thing for the faith. I was going to say, uh, I, in my years of getting older, have, I don't want to say ebbed and flowed, expanded. I have, I've leaned stronger into the mystery that is God, and it's been nice because I've expanded my view, not as in a, everyone's, you know, all, sorry, all paths are, you know, lead one to one place because I think that that is actually antithetical to truth because truth... It's infantile thinking. Yeah, yeah. It's it's far too simple. Rather, because truth is exclusive. Truth says A is and B is not. Gravity exists. Gravity does not almost exist or gravity does not partly exist or gravity doesn't exist when I feel like it. Gravity exists, period, regardless of my thoughts on it. And I lost my train of thoughts, Lava. Uh, oh yeah, uh, so so my thoughts have expanded. Where my new filter is: Does this current belief that someone presents to me, or or I'm holding, does it apply to people who lived in the first age when Jesus walked the earth? Does it apply to pre-Christ era? And if it doesn't, then I need to take a look and go: Is it really true? Because God expands through space and time, and His truths are Im- immutable. Is immutable the right word? I think it's immutable. Unchanging, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, we don't have to beat the point, but those are my wax philosophical, Wayne philosophical thoughts where it's like, just like you said, like, I'm not over here beating a Republican flag. Like, that's obnoxious. Like, Jesus was not a Republican. Jesus was not a Democrat. Like, Jesus was Jesus, and it's purposeful that he was a stake in the ground that was very different from the world as a whole, regardless of space and time. Like, Absolutely. And if you take away, well, let's not take that away. If you just put that point to the side and just say, all right, you know, we're religious, not religious. We're somewhere in between. We don't care. And we're looking at these two parties over the last, since I've been active, let's say, 22 years. Is that active meaning like paying attention to politics, not active as in like a politico. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, a pox in both your houses. I definitely agree more with some of the right of center talk, you know, talking points, but I also agree with a lot of the left of center talking points. And that I'm not trying to say like, oh, look at me, I'm independent, and that makes me unique, or some nonsense like that. But I look at these two parties, and again, it goes back to worldview. Like, you can't escape it, no matter who you are. I look at, through my worldview, I'm looking at these two parties, I'm like, neither of you are doing anything yeah, you're worthy both wrong. of my support. Yeah, you're you both, both suck. You both suck. You both have fine points in some areas, but yeah. not all areas. Yeah. And the way you get them, and the way you get there, you guys are either like Machiavellian, you know, <laughs> some kind of assholes, or just incompetent boobs. And that, that, that's it. We got incompetent boobs, you like, say. Bo- yeah. <laughs> Dude, no, like, our just dumb old incompetent... You know, yeah, idiots yeah. running the country. Yeah. 
that have no grasp in reality. Yeah. And it's easy to, you know, obviously it's easy just to crap on the politicians, but the last 20 years, they've proven that they're worthy of mockery. They deserve to be mocked. My they're, opinion they're on politicians, and I was a politician for two years in local government. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I guess I would be technically local because it was state, state government stuff. Man, I, man, that's a whole can of worms. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, very nice. Um, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail, but I will just say that as someone who was a politician on the highest local level you can have before you get paid, I was disgusted and was no longer interested in, in participating in the game. And it, that's what it is. It's a game. But I look at politicians the same way that I look at professors. If you haven't done the job in the field for over a decade, you don't get to be a teacher, sorry, a professor or a politician anymore because you've lost sight of reality. And that should be a hardline rule, which forces term limits. Anyway, I digress because we have talked about this for far too long. No, but it's a good segue. Like It's a good segue because of the genre of book. That it's a political book, discussing. but I have to now sell this it's, book to the to the folks. So, all right, you sell the book, and then I'll we'll, I'll discuss a little bit of what the genre is and why I think you know what. Discuss the book, and I'll then I'll do my talking point. Yeah, yep, sell yep, the yep, book. Yep, yep, sell yep, the yep. book. Okay. In a world between two worlds, there were cities hatched side by side, Bejel and Alcoma, unseen by one another lest they breach. Now, if you're looking for a thriller, a suspense filler, the city and the city is what you're looking for. Yeah, this this book is a thriller. I didn't prepare a speech, so I was just trying to do the the voice. I was trying to do the voice. But this is a suspense thriller. It's kind of a cop book because you follow a detective mystery that's what i want to say it's a, it's a, it's like a it's a it, police procedural. police mystery yes thank you and if that's the type of book you're looking at then this is the way to go because the rest of what i have to say is highly opinionated and it's this is a lot more hard of a sell than, than any of the books i actually love so i'll just leave it i'll leave it there if that's the kind of book you're looking for is a is a police thriller police suspense one with a lot of slavic names then this is the one for you. Very good. Now, I'm going to discuss, I'm going to read a little blurb about it, and then I'm going to discuss you know, the genre of this book, and we can talk about whether China Mayville accomplishes what he wants. And maybe he does, because again, this is just our opinion. So it's a novel by British author China Mayville that follows a wide-reaching murder investigation in two cities that exist side by side, but the citizens are not allowed to acknowledge one other, combining weird fiction with police procedural. So here's here's where we get into the genre a little bit. So it's weird fiction, which is a... True. I very forgot niche. to mention that. It's very niche, but it's a subgenre of speculative fiction. So weird fiction, and this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. So weird fiction reinterprets ghosts, vampires, werewolves, and other traditional antagonists of supernatural horror fiction and attempts to inspire awe as well as fear in response to its fictional creations. That's a part of weird fiction. It's supposed to evoke a sense of the 
um, this is in Latin, so again, my pronunciation. Oh, boy. The numinos. And numinos, I looked it up. It's Latin for arousing spiritual or religious emotion or mysterious kind of awe-inspiring, you know, feelings. So the German theologian and philosopher Rudolf Otto talks about this. And people who write these kind of uh, these kind of novels, they want to um, get people to rethink the way we think about the world. It's speculative fiction. So what Philip K. Digg did, he's like, well, what if Hitler won and took over America? So the man in the high castle. Yeah. But what if yeah. there was a totalitarian state that controlled everything? And so that's what this book is supposed to be. And a guy who I found on the on YouTube, you guys should check him out. He's a philosopher from Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin U. He's his name is Gregory B. Sadler. So look him up on YouTube. He has some great stuff on this stuff, great videos on this stuff. Okay, so in speculative fiction, the characters within the narratives contemplate existential questions and grapple with philosophical theological ideas. Readers are invited to do their own philosophical and theological introspection, outerspection. And there's implications, there's supposed to be implications embedded within the particular narrative. So if Hitler took over America, this is what would happen. If the government has too much power, this is how they would treat their citizens if we're going to you know, go to Philip K. Dick. Dick, I think, accomplishes what the genre is supposed to do. I think this book was decent. I didn't hate the book, but I it was lackluster. You texted me and you said lackluster. I think that, sadly, is is true. And I don't think it gets me where Sadler or um, this Otto guy. I don't think this book does it. It accomplishes the mission. Philip K. Dick has done a good job, and we just read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. That was speculative fiction that was well played out. And I was unpacking this with you yesterday via text, or two days ago, whatever it was, where part of the reason that this book didn't work for me and I actually hated it, which is why the sell earlier was tough. We ended up in the edit cutting out my rant that I did just after the voice because the whole the whole thing that we the whole shtick that we try to do is well we gotta sell the book because somebody likes this book and that's fine and I like that you like this book. I did not like this book. Part of the reasons I didn't like this book is the main character has no risk. He has no risk. He has no family. He like he has the two girlfriends, but like their their lives are not at risk because of something that he's doing. So there's nothing on the line for this guy. The first eleven chapters are good. There's a build up. It's suspense. You're like, what's going to happen? And then there's a turning point, and it starts to ebb, which you need in a storyline. You 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 can't just all be rising suspense. You need some breather time in in the plot points and the drama. So that's fine. But the breathing room lasts 11 chapters, which is a little long. That's a little long. And so you you can't have it last that long. And duration is a little bit of a moot point because it can last 11 chapters if the book is 100 chapters long, right? Like if there's another uprise in drama or something that puts the character at risk, puts his family at risk, puts something that he cares about at risk that we also care about, then it makes sense. This book, however, is like 26 chapters, 27. Like, that's it. 29. 29. Thank you. So if you've got 11 that are that are above average, they're stronger, you know, because it's a building up. You're, it's a new world. You're, you're figuring it out. And then you have 11 that are a lull. 
That's 22 of the 29 chapters. That's too much. So, so the main character doesn't have risk. He, the, he didn't give me an opportunity to care. One of the ways that, and this is just hypothetical, is he could have had a stronger relationship with one of his girlfriends who was then captured and then threatened if he didn't stop looking for this thing. Like, but none of that happened. We, they, he, the, the author introduces a random woman who is still alive at the point of the, tur- the turning point in, in chapter 11 or 12 or 13 or whatever. And we don't care about her because we haven't spent any time with her. So we're, you, you're reading the book and you're like, okay, cool, new woman. And then she dies. And it's like, well, that's all right. I didn't care about her anyway. Because I didn't spend any yep. time with her. There's no, there's no screen time. And that's the problem with this book in the, in the latter two-thirds of it is he doesn't give me any emotional anchors. I wonder if that's because, and I, I'd want to read more Mayville books to, to kind of to get a sense for what else he could do. Yeah, I'm not but saying I wonder, I'm not going to read another book by this author, but like this one's awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm wondering what you're hating. Is it just a thing with procedural police uh, books or poli- police procedural books? Because the the hero, the detective, he he goes through the story. And he does his things, and he gets attacked, and he attacks back, and he wins, and he saves, solves the case, and it's, you know, like any other police drama where there's not a lot happening to the detective, but he's doing things that bring the story to a close. Maybe that's just part and parcel of police procedurals, and maybe Melvin, Melville did a good job. Now that your points are invalid, maybe that's just... Why you would hate any police procedural book? Because I like Humphrey's you last. Get... I, I like Humphrey's last case. That was procedural. That was detective. Yeah, but and see, it was but speculative he had fiction. Self... But there was a, there was a elements elements of uh, what you're looking for. Like he had something to lose. The character lost his life essentially. Correct. <laughs> right, and as we, he knows it. Right, and we were yeah. introduced into the fact that this character has something that they love that they're losing, which is my whole point. It's not about police procedurals. I think it's a fair counterpoint you're giving. Like, I'm not dismissing it with my passion here. It's just that Mayville didn't give us something that the character loves. And, like, in Dick did in Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. He's like, this guy loves his electric sheep. He has trouble with his wife, but he still cares about his wife. And so, like, we have longer time to learn what this character loves because there's no drama if the character that you're following doesn't love something that is being threatened. So, like, it's, it, like, fair, like, we, we can read more police uh, speculative, you know, well, let me let me separate. We can read baseline, benchmark, uh, like Grissom, right? Like, uh, John K. Grissom, is that his, uh, the author? Yeah, but he, he's more law, lawyers and stuff. Not, okay. There's not a lot of police. Okay, I thought so, he had some about, uh, that's fair. But, but, like, we could yeah. find something that's more benchmark that's, like, this is kind of, like, Normal, average, police, standard, detective, whatever. And, yep. like, we could see. We, you could, we could test your hypothesis by reading more of these things. But the thing is, political intrigue, which I would equate with detective books, because there's this unfolding, there's a, there's a larger thing at play, right? Because it's always this ominous, like, there's a larger thing. Like, The Way of Kings is, well, it's actually like book two. But there's political intrigue that happens in the Stormlight Archives in books two and three that is unfolding, which is not specifically a detective story. Uh, there is a bit of a detective story in book three for reasons, but like 
detective stories are not my issue here. It's that the main character didn't give me shit to care about. Fair. This is also one of the reasons I didn't like Crime and Punishment. Now, granted, I was a little harsher with that because I was trying to get clicks on Medium. But Raskolnikov, right? Is that... Raskolnikov, yeah. It's close enough. Whatever. Sorry, I'll spit more when I speak. (laughs) Um, He, like, at least I know that he cares about himself... I didn't like that one because he dawdles too much in his own mind, which was Dostoevsky's whole point. And he did a great job. He absolutely killed it as a book. I just didn't like it. And no problem admitting like the, the brilliance of the author that is Fyodor Dostoevsky. Mayville, on the other hand, didn't kill it. And he tried to, to tie together speculative fiction, which I think that I actually would really enjoy because I did enjoy Android's Dreaming of Electric Sheep. I love speculative things. I like the odd and the peculiar and like I loved the Stephen King stuff that we read and I love H.P. Lovecraft. It's like speculative weird things. Like, yeah. I'm down with that. But he tried to shove it in with a detective story and the detective story is the part that I didn't like because the character himself was not likable. Like not it's not not likable. That's poor English. Um it's it's the point I made earlier where it's like he didn't give me something to care about. It could have been his dog. I, it could have been anything. He has a thing at plants that he loves at his apartment. It literally could have been anything, but they gave me nothing. I, I hear you. I hear you. I understand. But I still think it goes back to what maybe in Mayville's mind is a good police procedural. And he had to take it from somewhere. He had to read a police procedural. Sure. If he's if he's a decent writer, all right. Because this is supposed to be a gift for his mother or something. He wrote this book for as a gift for his mother, if I remember reading it correctly. And so he's like, all right, so mom likes procedurals. Let me read some of her books and let me make the thing I want to talk about in The City in the City, which, you know, is people seeing and unseeing each other and urban disconnect. And we'll get to that in a little bit. And then I want to wrap it up in my own type of a weird speculative way and insert the detective story into it. And I'm confident enough in this to say that's where Mayville fails to give us a detective that has something to lose, that has, um, like you said, a dog or a girlfriend or a wife or something more than just something that he cares the about. The case itself. Yeah. I mean, he could lose his life because with the breach guys, they, they, they could lock him away forever. And his, you know, he consistently goes after whatever he thinks is the truth in this, you know, this weird world. The only but thing that we're I'm given, I'm confident that's what it is. The only thing that we're given briefly is a threat of, well, he's probably going to lose his job. That's it, and he doesn't love his job as much as we just read it. Andrew Street, Electric Sheep. Uh, what's the did, Decker? Decker. Thank you. He doesn't love his job as much as Decker does because we don't have that internal monologue. And this is the thing: like, it could literally have been any stake in the ground about literally anything. I really love this lamppost that's on my street. It's where my dad met me for the first time. I don't flippin' care. Like, it could have been anything, but it was nothing. And that's my main point. It's like, character A didn't want anything. He wanted to solve the case, and that's fine, but, like, there was no threat here. So so it's hard for me to to care about him. And, and yeah, like you said, look, this guy's published books, and I haven't published anything. But the whole whole purpose of this podcast is, like, we're reading books, and we're, we're dissecting them. Like, I liked the world. I didn't like the phonetical, and I told you about this too. I didn't like the phonetical naming, and I have a really strong opinion about this that I, I'm not going to belabor at this point because... 
I just think there's a lot, to, there's too much else to cover. And this is kind of the beauty of books that we dislike is, well, that I dislike and you're just kind of moderately had distaste for, is that there's a lot to talk about. Uh, yep. and, and my strong opinions on choosing proper phonetical naming structures in your book so that your audience can more easily distinguish between cities, characters, and things. Like, you made the comparison... I guess I'm going on this tangent for a hot second. You made the comparison like, oh, well, you know, Dalinar and Kaladin and Rock are so much easier to understand. And I was like, yes, because their phonetical structures are different enough that they have almost no overlap. And it is easier for you to mentally distinguish between them as characters. Unlike Alcoma, Bejel and the series of Slavic names. And look, I bet it was easier for you because you're Slavic. I'm not. Yep. And so, like, that's... I've, I've, and I have no problem admitting that. But for me, the phonetical naming of these things was an issue. I had trouble following it. And I and I even bumped down... I know we joke about, like, well, you listen to it at three times speed, blah, blah, blah. I didn't. I listened to it at 1.5, which is basically just to cut out the breathing between words. That's it. And I still had trouble following this because I was like, wait, Bejel, Breach. So there's two Bs there, Bejel, Breach, right? And then the yeah. Zs, like the Zs are hard because it, you, you, the Slavic names tend to have a Zs. And then um, there's Alcoma, and it's like, okay, Alcoma, Bejel. If it was just those two things and everybody else's name was English, like Ethan and Tom and, and Sarah and like whatever, okay, fine. Yeah, no, I, this is, yes, exactly. This is worth laughing at. It would have been easier to follow, but Yolanda and um, Mesopotamia woman, whatever the hell her name was. <laughs> yeah, she had three names. She had aliases. Right. And this is my, this is another one of my, my points is like, you need yeah. phonetical structures because if your story is hard to follow, no one's going to like it. I bet you I would have enjoyed this book more if the, if the phonetical, and I'm not kidding about this. I'm so opinionated about it because I, I have done writing. And although I haven't ever published anything, I've had literal hours of conversations with my co-author about, like, the phonetical naming structures have to be different enough that they draw people in and they can easily distinguish between characters, places, and things. That's a non-negotiable. Because otherwise your audience is confused and they're like, "Eh, I don't want to read this anymore. What I've noticed, and maybe other people from the east, east of the, you know, east of Germany, let's say, can attest to this. When you hear your people in movies played by English actors, the pronunciation is horrible. It's like, well, if it's going to be a Spanish character, you can, nine out of ten times, eight out of ten times, they're saying something that a normal Spanish speaker would would say. Like, take any movie from the 80s, 90s, where the Spanish is a, is a bad guy. A Mexican guy is a bad guy. You, you, you can pretty much say, all right, well, not really grammatical, but okay, I understand what he's saying. When they get, like, Russians or Ukrainians or Slavs to talk, like, if they're a bad guy, like, I'm thinking about that movie where Harrison Ford was a president, he was on Air Force One, and a Russian terrorist hijacked Air Force One. Holy God, everybody should be fired, and the casting director should be probably shot. (laughs) So maybe it's the narrator that we should be crapping on a little bit, too, because there's milizia and polizia. Like, the way he 
the way he was pronouncing them, I know what those word means. They mean cops. They're both words for generally meant for cops. And I think militia is probably meaning more military kind of cops instead of your regular policia, which is beat cops. But I think the narrator mispronounced or Mayville didn't do his job and look at Russian or Ukrainian or Slavic grammar and how these words are pronounced because there's a lot of there's suffixes to these words that will determine how they're functioning in a sentence, right? And if they're plural or if they're, you know, female and male. So that might be part of it. And if he, the, the narrator, if he was reading something that was poorly written, maybe that caused more confusion because then the words don't sound like they're supposed to. I guarantee you, if you listen to a Russian speaker tell you a story and he used names and places that sounded a little odd to your Western ears, which is fair, you'd be you'd probably follow better than what happened here. Sure. So Crime and Punishment. Dostoevsky, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I read Crime and Punishment. I, it was difficult for me to, for a while, for a strong part of that book, to tell the difference between Raskolnikov and Rorik, the cop. What's the cop's name? Petrovich. Petrovich. Uh, yeah, Petrovich. Uh, Porf. I'm gonna. Yeah, there's two See, P names I... too. Yeah, we don't have to sit on this point. Yeah, we don't have to sit on this point forever. Like that's fine. Um, but my point stands. Like if you have names that are too phonetically similar, your book will suffer. You can write. You could write Lord of the Rings. You could be Tolkien himself, and if you don't have distinguishing, and this is honestly a battle that he fought with the word dwarfs. He fought his publisher. They were like, "Well, you misspelled the word dwarfs with a with an you know you spelled it with a v. It should be with an f." And and he was like, "Did I stutter?" Is basically the equivalent of what he told them. He's like, "It's a v, or you're not allowed to publish my book." It's dwarves. He's like, "I'm a philologist. I literally study language." No, and I'm not necessarily a philologist. I don't have a degree in that. But I love Tolkien, and I've read his stuff, and I, and I do love philosophy, and this is something that I think about, which is why I have such a strong opinion about it. And I feel like my opinion's above average articulation. I really do. Like, I think that this is a fair point. I understand what you're making. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I just think I'm not as annoyed with it as you are. As, and, but that's not take away from your point at all. No, no, no. I'm that's saying, that's, like, yep, I yeah, agree with you. No, no, no. We, we, and, and, and we've, you know. we've, we're going to run into this a dozen times. Like, you and I, I like characters A and B. And you're like, well, I don't really, that guy's annoying. You know, Lyndon. Lyndon's a great example. We just read Unsold, right? And you're like, yeah, Lyndon's super annoying. I'm like, he is, but I've been him, so I relate with him. And, yep. you know, and I'm also as embarrassed as he is when he realizes that, you know, though this is how I sound. Uh, and now I've made it a joke. Like, I'll even on our our, our, our work Slack things. They, these people haven't read Cradle, but I'll, I'll just type gratitude with the little prayer hands. And they're like, they just laugh. They're like, <laughs> what are you, what are you going on about? You're just obnoxious. Uh, so I make yeah. a joke out of it now, but um, uh, it's nice to have little inside jokes like that with sc- yourself, <laughs> with myself to screw people. Yeah, why not? Yeah. All right. So we've talked about characters. We've talked about plot. Let's talk about world. Uh, Slava and I are doing a new thing yeah. where we're trying to talk about. We're trying to stay a little more honed in on our on our framework. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't really talk about plot. We talked about that it's a procedural. So let's. Quickly I talked read about my plot. Points. About the plot. Yeah, let's talk about the plot, 
and then we can uh, from from the right, this, this is from Amazon. So Amazon, this is what the plot is, and then we'll uh, we'll navigate the rest of our side quest from from this this point. So uh, when a murdered woman is found in the city of Basel, somewhere at the edge of Europe, it looks to be a routine case for Inspector Tidor Berlou of the Extreme Crime Squad. To investigate, Berlou must travel from the decaying Bazel to its equal rival and intimate neighbor, the vibrant city of Alcoma. But this is a border crossing like no other, a journey as psychic as it is physical, a scene of the a seeing of the unseen. With Alcoma detective Kasim Dot, Berlou is immersed into a sordid underworld of nationalist intent on destroying their neighboring city. And unification is to dream of dissolving the town, the two into one. Okay, as detectives uncover the dead woman's secrets, they begin to suspect the truth that could cost them more than their lives. What stands against them are murderous powers in Basel and in Alcoma, and most terrifying of all, that which lies between the two cities. So that's uh, that's a good plot summary, right? Like, you want to read this book after reading that. Right, they did a good job with that, yeah. Yeah. So in in this book, um you have these two cities and Borlu is forced to travel between them to investigate this murder what seems random, but what these two cities have instituted as law is the citizens of one city can't acknowledge anything or anybody in the other city. So you have when you see and like you can you can be in on one side of the street and be in one city and the other side of the street and be in another city. And if you see something happening on the other side of the street, you have to quickly unsee it, actively erase it from your mind. And if you don't, you're in breach. And breach is an action word. You you breach. You do something that is considered breach. And a special, almost supernatural police force called the breach that will come and take you to breach where you will be either forever put into a cell or killed or nobody really knows or punished. And then after you leave breach, you're never the same and you can't interact with any of your friends or family members, or anybody you ever know, because then they'll be in breach because the sin of breach or the crime of breach is being in the wrong city and seeing the things you're not supposed to see. That is the setup for the world. This is where Borlu finds himself. And he actually gets taken by a breach at one point after the 11 chapters of nothingness that he doesn't get taken by breach until chapter 26 no sorry 20 23 20, 20, 23 no it's 24 because i texted you i was like why is he bitching at these people for two chapters yeah tw- somewhere around there right um so yes that's the plot sounds cool right guys <laughs> you should read the city in the city the plot is good enough it's you know a woman is murdered she's beautiful a detective tries to find her murderer. He does. He wins. Story ends sort of lackluster because he becomes a breach because he does such a good job. The breach decide to make him make him one of them. So it is what it is. I thought that was a, lo- a little bit of a letdown for the ending. I wanted more. But the world itself. Let's talk about the world. The, so the I world find sounded it's it, it, very interesting. Yeah, unpack that because I also thought this was a, the concept was great. I and and I have no problem recognizing the concept being interesting and like oh this could be this could be fun. But similar to how book one of series 
have to establish their magic systems, it takes time. And that was another issue of mine, like the world concept. I love the concept. Worlds on top of worlds. Cool. Okay. Interesting. You have to unsee. Okay. But it felt like a magic system that was being explained to me, which is the only analogy I can come up with here. But you need to do that in a delicate way. You can't just die, like, partly you can dive in, but you have to give me time to understand how this works and establish the rules of, like, what does it mean to unsee? You know, like, 1984, we we look at people who are have to be careful about their thoughts, right? And they take time in, in addressing their version of unseeing, like, oh, I can't think about these things, da-da-da. And he did a good job on that. But he, I think the book was longer, too, technically. But this is, like... The execution of the world building in how it was explained was weaker than it should have been. I really think that this book, if it would have gone through another three revisions, one really heavy one where you, my complaints about the character issues, giving us something to care about, and then doing a better job of pacing, and then also doing a better job of explaining the, I'm going to just keep calling it the magic system of the world because I don't know how else to explain it of the unseen and having a, a cross-hatched city and giving me more examples of that. Have the, have the guy buy a newspaper and have a couple encounters where he has to physically think about, oh, right, I forgot how to do this. I have to unsee these things. Something like that. Or, or introduce me to, give me the POV of the woman who dies, right? Like, give me that in the prologue. And then set it up, like something that, that in, addresses the magic system that is city on city. Because I think it's a great concept. I mean, we read a couple times ago where I, I read you my my concept of having a world that splits in two that regrows itself. Like, having a, a layered dual nature is interesting to me. I like that. It's the execution that I had an issue with. So, like, another part of the world is... And it's, it's, it's the same vein of seen, unseen, all this stuff, is the, the laws that are here, right? So, murder tax evasion, whatever the hell you we want to talk about, like breaking the law. But breach, whatever breach is, and we, we already discussed what it is, and it could be like three or four different things. So if you're in breach, which supposedly, very apparently, not supposedly, very apparently is harmless to see a woman across the street drinking a cup of coffee and saying, oh, wow, that's a nice looking girl over there. Or, hey, that's uh, an interesting... I don't know, cat, she's walking. And for that to be considered the highest of crimes, but murder is kind of like, well, yeah, murder is bad and we should work on it, but the highest authority in the land only comes into play if you see a woman across the street rather than if you murder the woman across the street. You know what I'm realizing while we're talking about this? Mm. Is they don't tell us why this is a problem. No, they don't, but that's... Part of speculative fiction too, like right? No, there's no, a, I, the, there's some element of like mystery and unknown, and you're just thrown into a confusion. Dick did a better job at this with with Android Stream of Electric Sheep. Like we have understanding about the the empathy box and Mercerism, and like he takes time to add little stakes in the ground, like building a tent, like a circus tent. Like he puts the pole in the middle. We're following the main character. He likes sheep. This is what he cares about. He has trouble with his wife. Da da da. da. And then he's like, oh, and there's this thing of mercerism. Oh, and there's this thing. There's an empathy box. Oh, and there's this thing that, like, there's a new version of Android. And, like, he builds around the thing. 
So like I'm I'm pro mystery. I'm just like really nitpicking here of like this is why this this book was lackluster because there were there was just revisions that it should have gone through to build out the world and I I fucking love world building. It's my thing. I absolutely adore it. And it doesn't mean you have to spell out every nuance of the gravity and the grass blows west instead of east and and you know whatever. You don't have to do that. You just have to give me enough to make it really believable. And if you don't give me the reason, because I'm really, I'm, ju- I'm just realizing this, they never told me why. Why is this a problem? Give me a backstory. Well, there was a rupture between blah, blah, blah. The cleavage, the- they call it. There was a cleavage between the two cities. Right. But that doesn't mean anything. They didn't explain it. Unless I'm absolutely deaf and I missed it and like feel no, free to call me. No, there's no explanation. Okay. Uh, no. No, there's no. I'm like, I'm, there is no explanation at all for for why breach is breach. Right. And then maybe I didn't pick up on maybe there's a subtle way he weaved it into it when they were talking with Breach. Them meaning the interviews we saw that they showed yeah. Berlu and then Berlu's uh, actual interview and none of those things cuz you uh, need to make me care. We, and so it's not yeah. and I'm and I'm I'm really just coming to this realization now. It's not just detective not having something for us to care about. It's that the story didn't give me something to care about. Why does it matter? Give me the why. Give me a reason. And it doesn't even need to be sensical in the cognitive realm that we live in and for our real lives. I don't care. Like, I have no problem diving into a world. I read some of the craziest nonsense about fantasy and magic and whatever. But you have to make me care as the audience, and I didn't care. Right? Like, you, I, no, right, you're right. I agree with you, so I'm having a hard time volleying you um, opposing viewpoints <laughs> so we can back and forth on this, right? Well, I think one of the ways you do volley, one of the ways you do the comparison is you look at other speculative fiction and you go, well, this person did it well, which is why I keep referencing to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep because Dick did a really good job. And the thing is, I still have, and I told you, I like, I liked this book. I have a lot more questions because the world was so, like, so well uh, framed out. And the thing is, he doesn't answer all my questions, and that's okay. And I don't need all my questions answered. But if you build a proper framework, then I, I'm left wanting more, which is what you want your audience to feel like. So, so what about? Go for it. Go ahead. I, okay, so I was just gonna make a comment I, I, to the make to the comment. audience. To the audience, this is what I get like when I get passionate. And and you know, if you ever, if you don't have any Jewish friends or Middle Eastern friends, uh, not that Slav and I are Middle Eastern technically, but by bloodline because it, we're Jews, it's like you get two Jews together. They got 15 opinions, and they'll argue each of them as if life and death matters. <laughs> So this is this is a side of me that I don't get to um, enjoy as much these days. The thing is, this book is not terrible. It's worth a read. It's got some fun concepts. I just have really strong opinions on the storytelling side of it, right? Like, so this is what I'm looking at a I'm looking at a Sparks Notes kind of website called lit litcharts.com, and the volley I was going to throw to you is based on what the author of this little blurb or this blog half a blog, whatever this is, on Lit Charts, is writing about the the seen and unseen of the uh, concept in the novel is we're not given anything because we're thrown into a world where there's this overreaching authority. You don't know because nobody knows. You just, you're, you just are supposed to actively unsee things you're not supposed to see. So here's what he says. The city and the city challenges the idea that perception is natural and automatic instead of showing how it is influenced by cultural and political factors. 
Like everyone, residents of Basel and Alcoma function within their environments by relying on their perception and surroundings. Yet, unlike others, in order to effectively orient themselves, the citizens must also deliberately unsee the city in which they are not officially present. That's a, that's a mouthful because, hey, literary critics. But maybe this is, a you know, the volley that we talked about just a minute ago. Maybe the point of the book is not to build any sort of world structure that you describe as necessary for a novel. Maybe this is just, a, call it a novella, call it a short novel, where you're thrown a slice of life kind of thing and you're, you find yourself in a city and you're just as confused as Berlou is in chapters 24 through 20, 28 before he becomes Breach. Maybe that's the point. No, and I'm going to tell you why. So Tell me why. If you write a story, the whole goal is to dive into the world. Monkey's Paw, short story, taught us everything we needed to know about the world because it focused in on a topic. Humphrey's Last Case. Sorry, Humphrey's Last Case. Humphrey? Omni's. Omni. Ugh. Omni. I'm an idiot. All right. Omni's Last Case hones in specific time frame. We, we learn everything we need to know. Look, even the H.P. Lovecraft crossover that we did with A Study in Emerald. Like, that was yeah. a detective story. Loved it. My only complaint there was, like, I wanted more Lovecraft. The story itself was a nice twist, right? Like, we realize at the end it's actually Moriarty and his dingbat buddy, whatever his name was. I forget. Yeah, but, like, I liked that. So this is not about the detective story. And if you're going to write a world, you write a world that is engaging. And to your point of, like, well, maybe we're supposed to be like Berlou. Berlou lives there. So even though he has questions, which is fine, he doesn't address them enough with us. He's just like, well, I don't know what's going on with the case. You could have even, at the beginning in a prologue or throughout the story where the where the detective's like, oh, yeah, Breach struck again. You know, old lady, you know, Maggie down the street with her cat. She's gone. They just took her. Like, have that happen in a few chapters and you go, oh, shit. Like, what's... These people literally just take people. And, like, something to build suspense. And so that's why I'm such a stark no. Like, this was not a good storytelling. Like, it was not executed well. The concepts were wonderful. I I was actually really excited when we read the blurb, and I was like, okay, this could be really good. And then, you know, I'm, I'm in it for the first 11 chapters. Like, all right, suspense is building. Like, wonder what's going to happen. And then it just, like, really falls flat. Just plateaus. Yeah. See, and here's the thing. It does fall flat. But? But, but this. Reading this novel, as disappointed as I was... But I was like, all right, this is good enough. So I, I and I don't, and this is just, you know, sure, this is the difference hey. between us. I just don't have a dog in a fight. And that's why I'm even having a hard time to even like throw you like a, like a contradicting, you know, like a volley to contradict you and say, all right, well, let's get, let's go back and forth. Because I'm like, yeah, Jonathan's right about this. And I kind of don't care. Not about, not again, not about Jonathan's opinion, but I kind of don't care about the book because. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I like weird stuff. Just like you said, something that's peculiar, out of this world, Lovecraftian, just off the beaten path worlds. I like it. So I'll read it and I'll be like, ah, and I already said this to you in text and, you know, during the during this recording, it was lackluster. But So I think that's actually part of the problem ah. with your stance that I, like, I'm just going to, I mean, we're close enough friends. I'm just going to call it out. Like, your, your, muddled stance on this 
makes it difficult for you to talk about, which means it's not a good book. You didn't love it, but you didn't hate it. And you're just like, man, it's, it's, it's literally not worth your time thinking about. That's how you're engaging with this, which should say something. Like, I at least have a strong detest, detestant <laughs> of this, where it's like, look, these, you know, and I, I love our audience. I, I think it's great that people are chiming in and listening to us. But, like, the fact that you find this to be like, meh, and you have nothing to say. I really like, do. That's, uh, that's, that says something about the book. Like, there's nothing for you to defend because my points are articulate enough. I'm not going to write a scholarly paper on it, but, like, find something to like and love or find something to hate. Like, no one's no one's listening to us for our average opinions about whatever. Yeah, well... You know what I mean? Does that make, does that make sense? Well, the, the, let me hate on this. It makes sense. Let me hate on this. I went in thinking it was going to be some sort of weird, speculative, lots of evil going on, you, you know, twists and turns... It wrapped up in a little police procedural, and like you said, I'll, I'll here's I'll, I'll just come out and say it. Like you said, the first eleven chapters were f- fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And for the rest of it, for the rest of it, I didn't hate it, but I was not at all. I was just like, let me end this book, and I was considering like, can I just put it up to twenty five speed, just so I can get it done in thirty seconds? Which says something. Like, I wanted to. I wanted it to end. I was not engaged after chapter 11. And the only thing that kept me going was two things. We needed to finish it for this uh, <laughs> for this episode. And the second one, I was like, I just want to know what the f- bleep the breach is. And I want to know the ending. Like, And I purposely did not read anything about the book except like the author and the genre that, that we well, I rambled on about a little bit ago. So I'm like, not going to spoil anything for me. I'm just going to finish it. And I was disappointed. When he became Breach, I was like, okay. Well, obviously he lives because it's his point of view, his first person uh, point of view. Right. So he lives, and he's Breach. And then, okay. Uh, that, that's it. That, that, I, I got nothing else. So I guess if I hate anything is I hate that I was so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense because I just have no. I got nothing. I'm like it's right because it's a the fine author book. no because the author didn't give you something to care about, which is why you're lackluster on your opinion. You're like meh, like and I'm and I, look, I have the utmost respect for anyone who can get a book published and then sold. Look, good to you, China Mayville. Like props, actual respect. Seriously, I didn't like your book though, and here are the reasons why. And I know that you don't know me and you don't care. And that's fine. I That's fine. But like these are the things that I I would have liked to have seen because I think you had a killer book here. Because I care. The concept is, is amazing. Yeah. Delivery was not. No, it wasn't. Yeah. And I, and I tried, you know, I tried to be as, um, as forgiven as I can even during, the, you know, the first 55 minutes of this recording. But all right, you, you called me out. You pushed me to make a definitive stance to plant a flag. After chapter eleven, I, I stopped caring. I just wanted exactly. to finish the book for this episode, exactly. And with the slightest of hopes, with the mustard seed, you know, of hope, saying, "Please tell me that like everybody dies or something, something spectacular happens, that happens. that's weird. Yeah, that's weird. That's out of this world. Just like you know, uh, in Lovecraft, a guy." Telling you the story, and it's actually a suicide note. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Or what I was thinking, I'm like, holy crap, what if Barlow frickin' dies and then this book picks up again with the point of view of his uh, deputy, his, or uh, deputy the, the, right. the, the female deputy. Right. I'm like, that'd be kind of cool. And Right. There, there was so happens. much potential here, which is why I'm annoyed. I would encourage you, Slava, to literally pay attention like, I'm checked out right now of this book. I'm, I feel the need to get through this quicker. And it's like, well, okay, that says something. It means you don't like the book. That's what that means, right? Like it's, it's, it's moments of breathing and self-reflection, like mental breathing, where you go, oh, I feel like, and I've complained about this with The Wandering In. Call out to that author, like book one's awful. Like I can't stand your whiny character. It sucks. I put it on three times speed because I was hoping it would change and it didn't. So I returned your book. Uh, well, actually, I couldn't return your book because it was too long. I wanted to return your book. I'd burn it if I could. Like, I didn't like it. Like, this is how strong my opinion is on, like, I want to love your books. I really do. I absolutely love the creativity. I think everybody has a book to write. At least one. It doesn't have to be fantasy. It doesn't have to be fiction. But, like, I literally believe people have books to write written in their hearts and souls that they could share with us. And, like, execution matters. If, what, what's worth what's worth doing if you're not going to do it well, and that doesn't mean you 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 bat a hundred every time. It means you get better with time. And granted, this is this is the first book we've read by China, and you know I bet I bet he has other good books. I really do, but this one was not it. I'm sure he's written at least a dozen. I think right. You so. don't you don't get you don't continue writing as an author uh, without some success, like over time and getting better with your writing, like so. And there's parts of books that will be, yeah. We horrible. we loved the first eleven. Oh, they were gonna say good. We loved the first eleven chapters. They were good. Yeah. Well, uh, this is a callback to Stephen King's Needful Things, and I, I'm a Stephen King fan. And again, I read all of his short stories. Read very little of his novels. The it is one of my favorites. But like Needful Things, I mentioned this in a previous episode. Great concept. Great book. Um, flows well enough. Ending. Just the worst deus ex machina you could ever think of. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of Stephen King. Right. He even jokes about it in lectures and in the, in the new movie It that was like 2017 and 2019. Yeah. In which he makes a cameo in the second second part, second chapter. There's even a meta joke about it, you know, that the author was a character in the movie. Nobody likes his endings because his endings suck. Because King gets accused of kind of a... Uh, ramping it up, showing you a lot of good character growth, a lot of conversations that are powerful, great dialogue, which is the same thing. Character arcs, you, you get into the you get into the head of the characters. You're really liking it. It's, it's kind of creepy. It's kind of, you know, cool story. And then the ending's like, uh. And listen, I only read a few books by Stephen King. Forgive the short stories. The only ending that I didn't like was Needful Things. I'm like, what? So, to your point, you don't have to bat a thousand every time, right? No. Uh, Stephen King, but one of the greatest authors of the modern time right now. Like, he's written really didn't good Didn't bat a thousand with that book. Doesn't that, bat a thousand. The ending was just... And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. So, all right, give your, give your ratings one through five for plot, character, and world building, and then do the average overall score, score for this. Is this a new thing we're doing? It's a new thing. Okay. We talked about it, but we didn't introduce it to the audience. So this is a new thing we're doing, audience. Um, <laughs> so what? C- plot, character, world? Yeah. Plot, I think, four out of five. Because it would, police procedural in a weird 
Lovecraftian, well, not, not really Lovecraftian, but just in a weird world where there's this entity called the Breach, and you have to do this weird crap of not seeing the people across from you. I think that's kind of cool. The world, I'll give it a three because I don't think we get enough of the Breach and who they are. When did the cleavage happen? How it happened? And I, I want to know more about the Breach as an entity because we the only thing we get is if you breach, you become part of them, just like the, the Berlu does, or you disappear, or you you are actually given back to the world, but you're never the same again. So what the hell happens in Breach? And then the characters are uh, three also. It just was, it is what it is, right? It's they're, they're it's a uh, detectives. So I like to give me the quick. I like sorry. I like Dot, the coma detective, who was just like a bastard to everybody. Honestly, he was he was the more he was honestly more interesting. Yeah, and I'm glad he lived. He was just a a grouchy old bastard. Yeah, he was a curmudgeon, which is fun. It's yeah. nice to have a curmudgeon because it it offers contrast. It offers juxtaposition. It's why I yeah. told you before. I was like, oh hey, wait! In our first unsold book, uh, or sorry, first unsold episode, you were like, I don't like Lyndon, and I was like, well, wait till you meet Yaren. And Yaren's a great contrast, like having characters that contrast each other. I'm just beating a dead horse here. So can you give us a, your numbers again, like a quick rundown of like plot was this, world was this, just as a recap? Pl- plot was four, world was three, and characters was three. So that averages out to like three, five, I think. Is that right? Let's see. Three. Six plus four divided. Yeah, but it averages out to. 3.3. So we'll call it a three. We're just going to do roundings to either point, point fives or zeros. So you get it. It has an overall score of three, roughly, for you. All right. So for me, we're gonna start with good things because I've been complaining this whole time. The world, I give a three point five because it was an interesting concept. The execution was not as thrilling as I wanted it to be, but I did the quick math. Eleven chapters out of twenty nine is thirty seven percent. So thirty seven percent of the world or the book was interesting, which means that two thirds of the book was not interesting. <laughs> so. Uh, that that says something. So the world, I give a three point five because I really like the concept. I really love the the possibility of what could have happened here, and so I appreciate you know. And here's the thing: I will actually give China Mayville a five out of five for imagination, just concept alone. Five out of five, which I realize I didn't ask you to rate, but because I I don't want to seem well, whatever. Plot was a two because <laughs> because of all the reasons I stated earlier. Plot was a two because thirty-seven percent of it kept me intrigued, and I was like, "Oh, all right, where's this going? All right, cool, all right, interesting." And I even, and it was even after, and this is the thing about biases, right? I was in it, and I could look past the phonetical gymnastics that I had to play to understand what was going on for the first eleven chapters. I would have mentioned it as a side point, and then like been like, "I have strong opinions about this," but the book overall, but no, because once. Once you leave me without caring about something and I've just spent time on your book, it's like, okay, then the, 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 the grace has lifted for like, well, they tried. It's like, yeah, but like, I don't see a whole lot of like, I'm never suggesting this book to someone. And then characters was a one characters was a one because he introduced characters that we didn't care about. He, 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 our POV character had nothing that they cared about enough to make us worry or or be concerned or whatever and the there was a side character we liked a side character more than we liked the main character right like and he wasn't even in the book for most of the book 
he didn't really hit the book until like chapter 18 or something. So, yeah. which is like over halfway through the book. And then you like the character that you killed off, one of them is like a woman that we get introduced to for, you know, less than 11 chapters. And then you kill her like, okay, cool, whatever. I don't care. So characters are the one. So I've got world building for a 3.5, plot for a 2, and characters for a 1, which leaves you with my score of a 2 out of 5 for this book. So uh, if this is your thing, you know what? Look, fair game. Throw the gauntlet down in the audience. If you love this book, I will do another episode, and we can we can badminton this thing back and forth. I would love to hear why you love this book. I would love to be disproved yeah. about my points that I've articulated. Tell me I I'm think, wrong. I'm not wrong. I think the most pushback we would get is from diehard fans who understand or think they understand, and maybe they do, like the political, social, maybe philosophical points that Mayville is try, trying to say. That's fine. Remember, speculative fiction is supposed to deal with philosophical, theological right, which is uh, what we concepts with. within this weird yeah. world. So you, you put yourself into a weird world, and it's almost like a thought experiment, and now here's what these people are saying. Oh, this is Plato. Oh, this is... No, this is John Calvin. Oh, like whatever. Calvin. You know, that was whatever. the guy I was trying to remember earlier. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you for um, that. So, <laughs> eh, full circle. So you the people the would say, well, like, well, this is really about how people... You know, in cities, never see each other, right? So we're using this weird world to say how humans actually interact with ourselves. You're walking down the street in New York, and you purposefully try to block out every sensory thing coming at you, especially if you're in Times Square. That hellscape, hellhole, (laughs) garbage fucking... I would only take people there that came to visit me at night because it's the only time to go. Maybe uh, after I'll, sunset once. I'd pop in to go see the halal guys. But that was for food. The halal like, guys. There was oh, yeah, the, food, there was yeah. the halal there was the the special halal guys that was just off just off of the Times Square area. Okay. Anyway, whatever. Right. So people who will love this book, I'm I'm gonna make take a stance. People who will love this book It's about time will <laughs> point to the philosophical and uh, sociological, whatever, stances that Mayville has taken, the, the the claims that he's making about humanity and, you know, urban sprawl, if you will. Sure, sure. And I so can get behind if, that. Execution was still poor. I can agree philosophically and still think the execution was poor. Because we lived in, like, you and I lived in New York. Yeah, you ignore people. That's what you do. You unsee people. We do that to homeless people all the time. Like and 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 you know, happy to have steered the conversation that way. If if you know, if we had done that, if you know, and and maybe that's on us for not pulling up the the philosophical backbone of of you know Mayville's premise, uh, premises, but because um, that's an interesting topic. Yeah, and I even told you that I failed to do the research for the themes for this episode. I did the plot and the genre and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I collected that information into our uh, into our episode notes. But the themes which I just mentioned, that's where I uh that's where I failed. But again, this is called a side quest what is for our a podcast reason. called side quest for a reason and what we focus on is on storytelling, yeah. characters and world building. Except so when we don't. I, except when we don't. <laughs> and I think you know, well, Mayville Again, from Wikipedia, Mayville is is a communist or a socialist or whatever the hell. 
he was a democratic socialist in the UK for a while. So his particular worldview will drive the narrative. Of course. And of you course. and I might look might, might look at, you know, urban sprawl, seen and unseen, people ignoring, you know, racism and homeless people and the, the whole gamut of things that happens in this world that are evil is evil shit and people actively unsee it. And we can even talk about government overreach, but for us as non-socialists and having our particular worldview, which is you know crafted and guided by Christian theology, Christian philosophy, we will look at those things differently than Mayville. And that doesn't mean that Mayville wrote a bad book, except he kind of did because the execution of talking about those things wasn't as as good as it could be. The philosophy is also something we can talk about. We do that from time to time with other books as well. It just didn't, it didn't side quest over there. But, um, you know, I, that's the podcast. That's it. Endings are our strong Goodbye, point. Good people. <laughs>